Broadcasting from Columbus, Ohio, this is Campus Rich Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode three, The Character of a Preacher. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I am your host, Keith Darrell. I'm sitting in the basement of Tom Short. If you do hear some mowing in the background, uh, there is somebody mowing in the background. Uh, so today, what we want to talk about is the character of a preacher, and we're thinking of a couple different verses uh, regarding this. And Philippians, because one of the things as you're out there preaching, you're going to be opposed. And one of the things we need to do is keep our wits about us. And, uh, you know, in a culture where you have Twitter and being inflaming and even street preaching where you're trying to get somebody's attention and you're trying to draw people out, um, an easy way to do that is to be a jerk, to be a troll, and to really get people lit up. And what we're trying to do is thread the needle of preaching the gospel, drawing people out, and yet living above reproach, not being governed by anger or uh, reacting uh, emotionally to people, uh, especially in an environment that can often be hot. So what I want to read here is uh, Philippians 1, starting in verse 27. He says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still uh, I still have. So the reality of it is when you go out and preach, you're going to have conflicts, you're going to have opponents, and you need the confidence that their opposition to you and the things that they are doing uh, is a sign of their destruction, uh, but a sign of your salvation and that from God. And then he goes on to add, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And that's one of the things I feel like we don't usually consider it pure joy. Being Americans and having, uh, you know, kind of hate some of this language, but having the privilege of being uh, Western Christians, we've had Christendom as a benefit and we're losing that. And the response of that, especially those who have seen us as the oppressor is now we got to inflict the suffering on them. And how are we going to suffer? Are we going to suffer well uh, for Christ? And if you publicly preach, you really need to learn to suffer well. And one of the other verses I wanted to read, just because it made me think of uh, a story, um, is in uh, 2 Timothy 2.4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living... 4-4. Oh, yeah, 4-4. I'm starting in uh, 4-1. What did I say? Chapter two. Oh, chapter two, chapter four. I don't know what I was saying. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So one of the aspects we're going to have to learn to do if we're going to be out there preaching is to endure suffering, be it mocking, jeering, whatever it is, and we can't fly off the handle. But one of the things that verse, as we were talking before we started recording, uh, probably about 10, 11 years ago, I was preaching down at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Uh, Jed Smock was there, and so I just walk up to him and say hi to him and blah, blah, blah. I think he may have been there by himself. I don't think he had any partners that day or anything like that. And so he started preaching and he wasn't getting a crowd. And just out of the blue, he goes, Keith, you're up. And I was like, uh, Jed, I'm not ready. And so he continued to persevere through the changeover. There was nobody standing around. So he sits down. And I was like, hey, sorry about that, Jed. I wasn't ready. He goes, Keith, 
didn't Paul tell Timothy to be instant? <laughs> so, and so, so anyway, whenever we were looking at that, be ready or be instant in season and out of season, uh, it was a quick reminder that I always have to be ready now to uh, be prepared to preach. Um, but one of the ways we can be ready to preach is basically work on our character and consider our character and basically evaluate ourselves. And so I think that's kind of an important thing because when we think of street preaching, we think of Westboro Baptist Church, we think of the crazy guy with the banner, oftentimes very angry. And uh, how do we, um, you know, in a sense, not not be that and do that? Yeah. I think it's very, 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 very vital to realize people may forget what we say, but they won't forget how we act. And I know that we, I believe Isaiah, where it says the word never returns void and God's word goes out. And we want people to remember the word. We want the word to land in their soul. We want the seed of God's word to bear fruit in them. But sometimes it's we who get in the way. And I th- I believe strongly that as Christian preachers, we have the responsibility to accurately and adequately reflect the character of the Lord and uh, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no option. People often ask me, Tom, why do you? How do you not get angry at people? How do you not lose your cool out there? And uh, they say some of these hecklers they make me so angry, and some of the things they say about you make me so angry. How do you not get angry at them? And my simple answer is, well, I got. I mean, obviously it's the Holy Spirit, but there's another answer, and that is I don't have the option. And, and I think we need to say this is when we are standing up publicly reflecting, publicly ambassadors for Jesus Christ, you don't have the option. It's not allowable to behave in ways that discredit the Lord. And so I realize people make mistakes. I realize people stumble. I've said things I wish I hadn't said. I've done things I wish I hadn't done, but I don't keep doing them. I don't keep repeating them. I learn from them. And I say, oh, God, don't ever let me say that again. Don't ever let me act that way again. Help me realize that the people will never forget how I act. They might forget what I say, but they won't forget how I act. And sometimes Christian preachers were known, were thought of as being mean. Where The stereotype we have of being bigoted and intolerant, sometimes people just feed right into that without showing thoughtfulness, kindness, grace, and love. And they'll even say, I've, you know, uh, how, how does God show his love? He shows us by giving us a good whooping. And, uh, you know, maybe so. But, but let me tell you. Tough da- love. Yeah. Da- dads, if all you're doing is whooping your kids, they're not going to love you very much. They're not going to follow you. They're not going to, you, you know, you're, you're creating a disaster there. Yeah. And so uh, uh, simple things. When someone, a homosexual tells me they're, they're gay, what do I think of that? I may shake their hand and introduce myself uh, and, and ask their name. And it's like, it surprises them. They expected me to just unload on them and instead to be kind or to be gracious or to value them or respect them or somehow to show that they are important too. And I'm hoping they get saved. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping they come to Jesus. I'm, I'm not written them off. I've not, I've not said you're just going to hell. I've not written them off. I care about them as people. And, and we have to have that character when we're publicly representing the Lord. Yeah, and part of that character kind of flows out of the idea, like, what do you, do you really believe salvation is by grace, or do you think it's by human effort, human merit? I feel like oftentimes, uh, especially in street preaching, you have this weird radical dichotomy 
uh, where sometimes people will be preaching. Even uh, yesterday, there was a young man who's like, oh, you just make a decision for Jesus. You know what I mean? And like, no matter what they're doing, how you can't possibly, but then he wanted to take issue with me publicly preaching. And I was like, well, I made it. Who cares if I, you know, so so he had an issue with me calling people to repentance um, and, and talk about those things. But on the flip side, he wanted to just be like, oh, well, you can do whatever you want if you've invited Jesus into your heart. But I think if we're, if we are genuinely convinced that we've been saved by the grace of God and, it, it, you know, in our circles, we talk about cage stage Calvinism. So people become a Calvinist, they become the biggest jerk. It's by grace alone. You know I mean? How dare you think? And and you wanna you wanna berate and argue and scream and yell and be a jerk to everybody because you're saved by grace. You know what I mean? And, and 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 you really understand how God has condescended and saved you by His grace alone. That you're a total jerk to everybody else. And and even realizing as we're preaching, like. Um, one of the big verses for me, like in Romans 2, when he says, or do you not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And so uh, what, what sort of disposition should we have? And and in, our, in my, my circles, particularly with the Reformed world, is sometimes it's just like, oh, we just want to be faithful in preaching the gospel, and it's God who does the peace. But, but part of the faithfulness of preaching the gospel is your character. And I quoted it last week, but when Paul's writing Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, he, verse 15, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And so if you're a Christian and you're in a community and uh, you're, you know, and that, that's even one of the things with a, if you are a street preacher, you, you better be in a church. Uh, uh, if, if you're not in a church, you just kind of run around doing your own thing. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit wacky, uh, but practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And so um, that aspect of watch your life and your doctrine closely or your teaching closely, um, not only to save yourself, but those who listen. So the idea that you can some way separate in a total way your preaching um, and your life from the reality of, of bearing fruit of salvation is not biblical. Now, uh, I will often quote on campus because I'll have a kid come up to me at day's end who'll want to ask what your motive is. And his assumption is that my motive is that I, you know, the nature of that question already tells me he doesn't think I'm loving or something like that. And so I will look at Philippians 1 with him where Paul says, you know, I don't care what someone's motive is as long as the gospel's preached. Um, but that should never be an excuse for us um, if we are, you know, if someone's wicked and they're doing that, that's fine. Uh, you know, in, in a way we can we can live with their uh, sin and God will bear fruit with that. But if we're trying to be faithful, half of that faithfulness, not only faithful to the message, but our character as well being yeah. teased out. Yeah. You know, James told us as teachers, we will receive a stricter judgment. And there's no doubt about it. I, I, I am very aware that there are things that some Christians can do that they can get away with. And I can't because I'm public. I'm, I'm a public speaker. I, I, I'm, People know me, and uh, and the and the and the world would rejoice if I did certain things that other Christians do all the time. They'd rejoice and think how the mighty have fallen, how the how God's people are hypocrites and so forth. And we we know it that the big name preachers, when one of them falls, how the world rejoices. And I'm just thinking, what I mean, so I, I see some of these you know people who are famous and who fall into sin. I said, what are you thinking? How is that even an option? Don't you realize how many people are looking at you? Don't you realize the devil's setting a trap? Don't you realize how much this discredits the gospel of Jesus Christ? What were you thinking? And, and so it says here that let not many be teachers, my brother, knowing that such will receive a stricter judgment. We all stumble in many ways. Everybody stumbles. Teachers stumble too. 
And even in what we say, sometimes we stumble. But my goodness, we best be careful. And like I said, we all make mistakes. We all stumble. We all, we're growing. But if you keep making the same one and you keep discrediting the gospel message and the Christian faith by by uh, immaturity and or sin in our lives that's magnified when you're seen publicly, you just can't do it. It's mm-hmm. just not an option. Yeah, and, and one of the things that's been interesting over the years is uh, kind of like I think the arc of what the Lord kind of did in my life is I became a believer, started doing some open-air preaching. I was in seminary. And what I allowed myself to do is really narrow down my piety. So it's good to be pious. It's good to pray, good to read the Bible, um, good to, you know, not commit certain sins. Uh, but what, what we can often do, and maybe like a, a strange form of legalism, is we just kind of narrow. As long as we kind of are in this lane, we're okay. And so get done with seminary, move to New York City. And as I'm in New York City, the certain sins just became much more evident to me. And those things would be like, oh, I'm not as patient. As I should be like, and it's like, oh, well, I'm not doing this over here. So I read the Bible a lot. So I'm actually really pious. And you're like, well, I'm not patient, not kind, not gentle. And I think part of the Lord sending me over there for a season of my life is basically really stripped me of tons of different, uh, tons of my own righteousness and then be like, no, it's the fruit of the spirit. And so you can kind of have a certain level of legalism. Like, okay, we don't, we're not fornicating. We're not doing this. Um, and we're, we preach and we pray. So we're really pious, but then we're negating the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And us doing that out on campus. And Paul lays out pretty well in Romans, and he's dealing with the Jews there and their self-righteous over the Gentiles. But he, because of their sin, he says, uh, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who have poor idols, you rob temples. You who boast on the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And, you know, because we're out there, is God's name really being blasphemed among the Gentiles? It made me think of a story. I won't mention any names, but years ago, I show up at UCLA and there's some characters out there preaching and I meet this guy and I'm single. This guy was like in his seventies and single. And he goes on for about 30 minutes, stream of consciousness, all about whether or not there's going to be sex in heaven, all that sort of stuff. And you, you can just kind of think like, this guy clearly does not have a pure heart. You know what I mean? Everything out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And all you can think about, and then he preaches and everything out of his mouth dealt with the same way. And some of the people who was with, once he brought his sermon, perhaps to a crescendo, everyone's like, okay, take the keys from grandpa because he, he is going totally, totally sideways this thing. But it's one of those things where you couldn't help but to think like everybody there, it, to me, it just seemed obvious that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And like, he's revealing his sin to everybody else. You know what I mean? He, uh, through the preaching. And you will be doing that. If student, if people are listening to you, inevitably, um, it, it, I, I kind of joke oftentimes on, on campus when I'm talking about sin. I was like, well, sin's a lot like the bleach blondes in these campuses. Eventually, the, the roots will show. And so whatever is in your heart, you will articulate those things um, in one way or another. And you may not even be aware of it, um, and people will be picking up on that. And so at the end of the day, your character uh, does matter that you're, yeah, you're filled with the spirit. Uh, what's uh, coming out of your mouth is love, joy, peace, patience, and, and the fruits thereof. Yeah. I want to share another verse along this lines. This comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse uh, 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That's a powerful verse. It's a really powerful verse. Uh, again, I know some people, they just think all that I need to do is stand up there and, and preach words. And the word will never return void. And I, I know that that's a verse in the Bible. But I think somehow we we the messengers play a role too. We are the ambassadors. 
And he says that there's power, the word came in power. It implies to me the word might not come in power. Mm -hmm. The word might come weakly and instead, or in weakness. But here it came in power. Why? Because just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Now, Paul was persecuted here in Thessalonica. He only lasted a few weeks before he was gone. And there must have been something he demonstrated in his life that was powerful and in his character. With in, Back in Acts chapter 6. If I interrupt oh, you real ahead. quick. Uh, Paul, Paul later, I think in First Thessalonians, maybe second, but he, he says, God is my witness and so are you of how holy and blameless we were in your presence. And so just, you know, what would, what would be your take if you think of somebody saying, oh, man, I, what, you, come on, uh, Columbus, Ohio, you know how holy and blameless I was in your breath. You're like, Daryl's lost his mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> but Paul says, God and you are, my, are witnesses to how holy and blameless we were in your presence. And so the reality of Christian obedience, and there's a, he was kind of coming out of the, the Puritans, I guess, a Robert Murray Machane was his name. And, and uh, if I remember the quote correctly, he says, what, what my people need most from me is holiness. And just that kind of that reality as a pastor. Like, and the, from there, uh, again, uh, having a broader understanding of holiness, not holiness isn't just, oh, I have long hair, wear a denim dress, and I don't drink the alcohol, the devil's juice. You know what I mean? But, but holiness is the purity of heart that is love, joy, peace, and flows from the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. And yes, that's what we're called to be. And And dare I say part of our message also is that our Christianity works now. And, and if, if all we're saying is, I'm a jerk, I'm, I, I, I'm impatient with you, I don't really like you guys, but I'm going to tell you, you can go to heaven. Um, that's not a powerful message. Yeah. That's not life-changing. And, and if, if you also, if you're always telling them, I'm loving you with the truth, <laughs> you have a character problem. As a rule of thumb, if you always have to tell people you're loving them with the truth, you're a jerk. Just listen to the critics and just be like, okay, maybe I am a total jerk. And and it is one of the things, if you're preaching with people and someone has input on you, um, take it. Even from an unbeliever, I was preaching at Colorado a few weeks ago and a professor came at me at the end of the day and we talked for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, really nice guy. And, and he has some valid criticism, even like points I made, like intellectual points I made. And, and he was trying to understand it. And it was, it was interesting, but even kind of tied into the day, he was, uh, he's like, uh oh, a preacher, I got to go the long way. He's like, oh, I got to go listen. And, and so he came back and he was there for a good while and he really liked me and stuff like that. But, but even, even on, even from the unbeliever, uh, be willing to listen if there's a genuine uh, criticism. Have some humility and, and be willing to listen to that aspect. Amen. Amen. The other guy I was thinking of here is Stephen. And it says Stephen, of course, he was one of the early deacons. He was also the, the stoned here by, you know, in Acts chapter 7. But one of the early deacons. And so he had to be a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to be put in charge of the task. But he also was a preacher. And he was preaching when, and and taking issue and people were arguing with him, disagreeing with him, trying to prove him wrong. And in the midst of the opposition against him, it says in, in Acts 6 verse 10, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They had to lie about him. They had to make up things about him in order to get him uh, stoned. But he had wisdom and he had a spirit they couldn't cope with. And I pray that for me and for others who are preaching on campus. Oh God, we're often outnumbered. Some of these people have, may have more of education than us. They've got, we're on their turf. Lord, give us wisdom and give us a spirit that nobody can cope with. Let us speak in ways that they could say, like they said of Jesus, no one's ever spoken this way before. 
And and might they also, actually, the other verse I think of here, it's Acts chapter 5, when they wanted to have the, uh, or is it chapter 4, when they wanted to have arrested, and they, and uh, it says when they were preaching, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the other thing I want people to think of me, is that when they hear me, that one thing they'd see in me, this this guy's been with God. This guy's been with Jesus. There, there. This is a man of God who's come onto our campus. This is a man who walks with God. This is a man. This is a man who's holy, and that doesn't mean I'm I'm mean. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm angry. It gets back to how do we see God? Mm-hmm. Do we believe God loves people? Do we cr- believe that Christ cares about people? Do we believe that people matter to God? And if we're exhibiting some of these things, if we've been with God, will we come out of there? We'll come out holy. Big part of that holiness will come out loving people and caring about people and saying that Jesus died, that these people might be saved. He's seeking and saving the lost, and we want to seek them and save them. Yeah, and to your point, like earlier, uh, you made reference to like, oh, fathers, you just, you know, come home with the children. Sort of thing. But like, is, yeah, you're going to be like what you're worshiping. If you're really worshiping the true God, if you're really worshiping Yahweh, you will be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you will uh, begin to love because God Himself is love. I was talking at a church last week and just kind of covering a bunch of evangelism stuff, and I was you know kind of saying like, can you just can you just say God is love? And like I just feel like God is love, but. I was like, and if you're the person who just immediately wants to throw a butt in right after God is love, and you're like, but uh, just for six months, just camp out on God is love. Because the, the idea you immediately want to throw in the butt is like, yeah, 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 he is, but the real juice is he's holy or he's this. And and what you're really getting at is some aspect, I, I feel like it's some aspect of you're not really persuaded that he loves you. And he, you're not really persuaded that he loves the world. And, um, and even the reality of the gospel, God so loved the world, he gave his son. And so often I feel like, in street preaching and people, there's an aspect where Jesus loves you, Jesus is gracious, but the father is really kind of a drunk guy who might fly off the handle at any minute. Yeah. And and that comes out in the way you talk about holiness. So holiness is not hardness. Uh, there could be a real gentleness. You just look at the life of Jesus. And there are times, I mean, street preaching, you're going to camp out the time that he was with the bull whip and he's doing all those sorts of things, the money changers and brood of vipers and hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. And so you have those, you have that in the repertoire. But the point is, if that's immediately where you want to go with the repertoire, I would just say, focus on the aspects of he was sli- like a lamb to the slaughter. And uh, God is love without throwing any butts in there for a season of your life until you kind of get that get that aspect right. And even intertwined with me personally, um, you know, I, I became a believer and I was immediately drawn to like sinners in the hands of an angry God. And, you know, I would have no qualms preaching that sermon. So, but at the, on the, about seven years in, I came across a work by John Owen. It's called On Communion with God. And in the second chapter, I believe it is in there, he talks about how we primarily have communion with the Father in love. I remember just kind of wrecking me because I was like, here's a, Puritan guy who's like staunch and strong and all this sort of stuff. And, and our primary communion with the father is in love. Then he even talks about in there, the language of a lowering father, are you a lowering father and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but that was one of the things that was kind of revolutionary. It's like, yeah, how, what am I really presenting God to the world as? And even if you just think in Philippians chapter two is like, have this mind in you, which is the same as in Christ Jesus, who though being in the very nature of God, and I consider equality with God something to grasp, but humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. How much more should you and I, if the eternal God 
in Isaiah 6, I've, I've been looking at this, but in John 12, John 12 picks up Isaiah 6 and then Jesus washes the disciples' feet and it, it takes off his robe. And so you, the train of those robe in Isaiah 6, he takes that off, he comes down and he washes the disciples' feet. And is that the God that we're out there to preach? And then from there, if, if that's really who you're worshiping, the idea of going out there and suffering at their hands after looking what Jesus suffered, and even Paul says in Romans 8, this light momentary affliction, like, our suffering's minimal in America. You know what I mean? Like, but I, and it, it is interesting, like the way people like encourage us at the end of the day and, and like, can't believe how patient we're and can't believe this, can't believe that. And you're just sitting there going, it's so minimal, really. You know what I mean? Like there's a cost involved socially and those sorts of things. But right now it's pretty bare minimum. Um, and, and just, and so as you, yeah, you consider uh, the, the, the work of God, you consider the gospel, what we're actually saying take place. How much more if this if yeah if Jesus did this how much more should you and I be willing to wash yeah. the LGBT feet and uh, we, we were talking about the Jesus Revolution one of the best scenes in there is when um, all the hippies start coming they're afraid the carpet going to be dirty and so Chuck Smith starts washing their feet you're like all right we'll take we can take care of that problem you know what I mean <laughs> and, and so is that your attitude oh you're, you're worried about a dirty carpet we'll wash their feet um, and so as we're going out there what is our disposition and our attitude and it really is if we believe the gospel that like God loves the world and we believe the cross. Um, I'll radically alter our disposition as we interact with our opponents. Yeah. Romans 12, 21 says that, tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And when we're out preaching, we're facing evil. A lot of us live in our bubbles where we don't really encounter people who hate us, people who want to do us harm, people who, who they don't like us. We remind them of God and they don't like God. And, and it may, uh, may remind, maybe they were abused by someone in the church. And we remind them of that. And, and it triggers sincere, genuine anger and pain and terrible memories. And how do we respond to that? Do we insult them back? Do we re- respond to them the way they responded to us? Do we return evil for evil? Do we get in an insult fight to see who can give the best <laughs> zinger at the other? No. We are to overcome evil with good. And folks, we, as our country and our culture is becoming more and more away from God, more and more secular, more and more idolatrous, more and more that we drift away and we run away from God, this challenge to overcome evil with good is going to be all the greater for us to learn how to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to do good to those who, who spitefully use us and... Uh, it doesn't mean we're just a, a you know doormat to be wiped or you know we we maintain we stand with poise and confidence like we started like we talked here about uh, from Philippians chapter one verse twenty eight, but we with that confidence that we stand and and uh, the verse I was looking here with Peter earlier, Acts four thirteen now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And that's, that's what we want to be. And we want to, uh, the only way we'll overcome evil with good is if we are people who are filled with the spirit of God and we know how to rise above the flesh and live in the power of the spirit and uh, do what, what we could never do without the spirit of God. Yeah. One of my favorite things uh, during the day is uh, when, I, when Tom's preaching and the students are like, man, he's such an uneducated man. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the day. Is just kidding. That is that has never happened. They've never said Tom is an uneducated man. Um, and even part of the aspect of our evangel, like uh, I, I think 
having compassion, probably one of the best things the Lord has worked in me the last few years is uh, more of a compassion for the students and more of a care for the students. And a point that you just mentioned, um, one of the more interesting things broadly is I very rarely have a debate over the existence of God, but I have a lot of discussions over the goodness of God. And I think that does come out of a place of abuse. So if you're a little kid and your father's abusive, uh, you're doing your theology through your dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so if your dad, if you're a father's slow to anger and bounding steadfast love and dad is, uh, quick to anger and no steadfast love. Um, you're doing theology and you're doing whether that pagan guy knows it or professing believer knows it, he's doing theology to his child. And so I get so many more conversations with people from that standpoint and, and half, not half. I, I feel like so much of what I'm doing oftentimes is even if I get asked a question is like, is just kind of thinking through like, okay, what's behind the question and who's behind this question and why are they asking it? And then from there you can, you know, hopefully uh, be more gracious because it's not this, oh, I just got to throw a home run and here's an easy answer to the problem of evil, whatever it is. Like here's someone who has suffered perhaps at the hands of the church. There was even a young girl yesterday who her whole question was suggestive and we didn't get into details. Like I can't really deal with that out here, but, and you're trying to lay out and part of your apologetic is the goodness of God. Here's why God is still good. And we may not always have an easy answer for, you know, why did God allow this? I don't know. You know, there's a sense in which I don't know. And, uh, but we need some aspect of uh, being like Joseph where, um, you, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And how are these two events correspond? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, but I think that's one of the things that can be worked into our spirit. And I, I really believe the Lord has worked on that with me. I just, I suddenly find myself caring so much more about the students. You know I mean, over the last, uh, you know, so 13 years ago, I guess is when I started doing it again full time, but it's probably back in like 16, 2016. I felt like the Lord was, uh, really beginning to change and, and work on that component. And I'm glad he is. Cause I think it does make me a better preacher and just like being patient and listening. The Bible's very clear, be slow to speak, quick to listen. And one of the hard parts for me is I'm very quick to speak. Not only, not only, uh, in literal sense that I, I speak quickly, but also like, Oh yeah, I can, I have an answer to this. Someone's asking you a question. You want to be quick to interrupt them. But, and that was one of the things I remember being with you early on. I think you said we preached at Miami University. If you remember this, it's probably 2001-ish. And uh, you're like – and you said something to me. We were riding home. You're like, sometimes when you're on there, you sound like you're debating your uh, theology friends at seminary. And I was kind of like I, – I, and like knowing that's not who I'm interacting with was huge. You know what I mean? Because I, I just think I just had this assumption that we all share the same information – because when I was younger in the Lord, I, I became a believer and I knew nothing when I got to college. I remember going to prayer meetings and not knowing how to pray and I knew nothing about the Bible. And and at some point I passed my peers and studying, but my mindset's still a little bit like, oh, I'm the guy who knows nothing. You know what I mean? So here I am on campus assuming everybody knows more than me. And at some point that's just not the case anymore. And I have to realize that. But I remember we were leaving Miami and, and that was a helpful thing. It was like, oh yeah, I'm communicating to people who are not peers, be it knowledge or even age. And I have a responsibility to communicate them in a way that uh, reflects that opposed to I'm out there throwing haymakers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had something else in my mind. Uh, all right. Good. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I think, I think that kind of lays a lot of the groundwork. Cause oh, I, okay. I know what I want to say. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I think it's important if we want to have public evangelism that we also have some individual evangelism, mm -hmm. that we get to know people, we we draw them out, we listen to them, we not assume that we know what they're thinking, we not assume that we know what their problems are, we not assume that we're, we can be quick to analyze them. People can be complex. People, In some ways, problems are simple. In other ways, people can have complex and it's like peeling back an onion trying to get down to real issues. 
And I, and I do think that the more we can, uh, you know, you, you, you preach publicly, hang around for a while. Sometimes we hang around for an hour or two talking to individuals who couldn't speak, didn't want to speak up publicly, or maybe they did, but now you talk to them privately and you start finding out stuff really going on deep in their soul. And, and if you really want to help people, you've got to understand them. You've got to know them. You've got to know what's, what, what the issues are. And they'll tell you if they think you love them and they think you like them, They'll tell you. Yeah. And let's be all ears and let's realize the type of people we're, re- we're trying to reach. Yeah. And it is pretty amazing. How people are like, oh, like when they're like, you need a relationship in order to, and like, you'll be surprised. People listen to you preach for a few hours. They think they really know you or whatever it is. <laughs> and they'll come up and they'll share so much stuff. You know, And it, it is pretty amazing. There's a probably some of that's probably a certain level of safety. They need to confess. They need to get these things off. And they're like, well, they're not going to, you know, blow me up or anything like that. And so there's a certain level of safety there, but I'm always amazed when I get to finish a day and people come up and they're just, yeah, they just open up quite a bit about whatever it is that is going on in their lives. And and by just by being out there and then being willing to hang around for however long. And I, people always ask how long you'd be out here. It's like, till no one wants to listen to me anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? So I don't care if it's midnight, uh, like you were sharing a story. We were up at Bowling Green the other day and um, Tom was sharing a story from like 1980 or 81, something like that. And they preached to like maybe like one in the morning or yeah. uh, something along those lines. And the latest I've ever been on campus was 1115, but it is just that element. Like, like I will be here all day. If you guys, I'll be here. I'll even stay for the next two weeks. You know what I mean? I'll do whatever uh, I believe the spirit's doing and what's necessary. And yeah. And, and they see that, you know what I mean? They, they'll, they'll recognize that where if it's just a job, you, you punch in at noon, you punch out at five and it's like good riddance. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, no, the desire is actually to evangelize and reach people. So yeah. one other thing I want to say about character is uh, my wife and I are about to have our 46th anniversary. And I mentioned that I don't know, in passing somehow at Bowling Green last week and the crowd applauded and it was genuine. And they, they really good for you because they've all come, so many have come from broken homes. The idea of being able to be married for 46 years, that like that is an achievement that is gives glory to God and glory to the way we do things and, 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 and our testimony. So again, things like that. And by the way, if you have ways that God has changed your life, uh, don't be afraid to share it. Sometimes we, we don't want to be uh, come across as being righteous because we're afraid we're going to be self-righteous. Folks, we are not self, we are not to be self-righteous, but we should be Christ-righteous. And there's a difference there. The opposite of self-righteousness is not to say I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. The opposite of self-righteousness has got to be I am righteous because of Jesus Christ. He has changed my life. Sometimes students will ask me, well, Tom, do you think you're better than us? Uh, and I'll say, I, I have no idea if I'm better than you. But I'll say this. I've been a Christian now for like 50 decades, fifty years, <laughs> five decades. If I'm not a better person than I used to be, my religion's not very good. Mm-hmm. And so I'll often quote from the song, song uh, I'm not yet what I'm going to be, and I'm not yet what I ought to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> and uh, yes, God has changed me. Am I better than you? I have no idea. I sure I'm a lot better than I used to be, and I thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And even uh, directly tied to all of this, probably I just think of three or four times on campus, and there's probably been others that I was just kind of blind to, where I've messed up and apologized. And 
even as a street preacher, whatever it is, you may not want to, but like the best, some of the best gospel preaching will be you apologizing to the person. So years ago I was in Montana and, um, and I, I think my speech was fine to these groups of Christians. These groups of Christians came up to me in the, the day. They wanted to take issue with it. And a lady has her baby and they're, they're, the group is literally defending this lady with a newborn baby, her husband looking at pornography. But my preaching's the problem. You know what I mean? I was, so I'm like leaning into them pretty hard and be like, wait, you guys are rebuking me? And here you guys are defending all of this? Like, what is going on here? And blah, blah, blah. We're kind of going back and forth. And a guy came behind me and said something. I thought he was with them. So I kind of gave him a quick a quick, and it, you just see his disposition, like his shoulders, and he turned and he walked away. I was like, ugh. I was walking off campus with my buddy Sean. And I was like, man, I messed up. And Sean's like, oh, it's all right, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, ugh. And so, anyway, we're at a restaurant. A local guy heard us preaching, loved it. And he's like, can we can I get you the best steak in Bozeman? I was like, yeah, you can get me the best steak in Bozeman. So, we go get a steak in Bozeman. And as I'm sitting there, my back was to the room, and Sean goes, the guy from campus just came in and the dude's just staring at me as he comes into the restaurant, he walks in and then they put, he sits down. And so I was like, oh, I gotta go talk to him. So I get up and I'm walking towards him and he's just staring at me the whole way. And I go up to him. I was like, excuse me, sir. I want to apologize to you. I'm a Christian. The way I spoke to you on campus uh, was unbecoming of a Christian. So I asked that you'd forgive me. And he started crying at the table. He's like, Oh my goodness. I was so mad when I saw you. I could, the last thing I was expecting was for you to apologize. I was like, that's all I can do now. Like I messed up. I shouldn't have said that to you. I apologize. And then they had finished up before we did. He even came over, said hi to me on the way out and goodbye. And you know, like, so when you do mess up, the, the Christian thing to do is repent. The thing to do is ask for forgiveness. And even in your own personal life, just be specific. Not my bad, not, hey, uh, sorry about that. Like, I am sorry for doing X. Will you forgive me? Uh, very early on in my Christian life, someone told me that. And I just remember like, that's, yeah, that's an appropriate, because then you're just, kind of, you are, you're giving them power over you. I did X to you. Will you forgive me for that? And then they have the option to either acknowledge that forgiveness or not, rather than just kind of a flippant. So, uh, and one other time, I remember, I think we're at uh, San Luis Obispo, if I'm pronouncing that right, in California, Cal Poly. And um, yeah, there was a there was a young woman there and it wasn't some dramatic thing. Uh, but I remember just kind of going to my car and just being really convicted. I was like, all right, Lord, uh, just, just, just have her there. So we had left campus. The sun was coming down. We're going off campus. I get to my car. I was like, oh, I got to go back and apologize. And fortunately she was still there and she was very gracious and accepted. I was like, Hey, I want to apologize to you. I think I was too short. Um, so you forgive me for that. And she was, just, and like, yeah. So anyway, even when you do mess up, uh, your best bet is to apologize. It's not to double down. It's not to be proud. It's not to be haughty. Um, cause at the end of the day, when we're doing that, again, we're saying something about the gospel and what we're really doing in those instances when we mess up and we're unwilling to acknowledge it is actually, we're being self-righteous and we're being proud. Yeah. And if, and if, again, if you find kind of like with the, uh, I'm loving with the truth thing. If you find yourself always doing that, you're probably doing it wrong. If you find yourself always confessing the sin of, of, of some sort of shortness or something like that, you, sh- you should probably maybe take a breather from campus preaching for a little <laughs> bit. Just like, you know what? Until I'm going to cool my jets for a little bit until things calm down. I'll try to get back out there in a, in a couple of years. So, and that's the sort of thing. Have some people with you. Like the, the best thing, like I've, I've mentioned, a couple times I've been with Tom I've been with Sean I've been with some other people who like yeah they'll give you feedback and listen to you your brothers or sisters if they're out there and even if it's the unbeliever like listen to that feedback and even if you think they're dead wrong at least have a little element of reflection on there and be like okay is there are there things I can do better things I can do different and uh at the end of the day what is my character and am I, am I really when I'm out there preaching um 
am I really reflecting the glory of God? Am I really reflecting the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God? Uh, because that's what it boils down to. Uh, and that's what we're seeking to do. So uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about uh, how we finish the day. Uh, I'm not a great finisher, um, but you know, there's, a, there's an arc to the day. It's a little bit like a movie. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about how we uh, wrap up the day. So that's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com or just go to campuspreacher.com. You can also find Tom Short at tomthepreacher.com if you want to learn a little bit more about him and what he's doing. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.